Sometimes it's all too much. Your job is too demanding or maybe not demanding enough. Your family obligations are overwhelming, traffic sucking the life out of you. While juggling it all, you find yourself just wanting a little time, a little more space, some peace. And now you're ready to make some changes, no matter how small, to find it. Like us, you're a fit mess. On this first episode, we'll talk with Dr. Daniel Siegel. He's a clinical professor of psychiatry and author of Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence, And we'll talk to him about one tool to help you start to deal with the mess, meditation. Beyond that, though, Zach, what what would you say it is that we're doing here? Like, how would you introduce us? We're just two guys. Like, we're average, below average in some areas. (laughs) But, you know, we're average guys just making small changes. And we believe in compound interest. (laughs) Small changes will add up over time. It's that kind of genius you can look forward to from Zach, and I'm Jeremy. This is a fit mess with Zach and Jeremy. We've been talking about doing this show for a couple months, officially. We've been kicking it around for a while. Uh, and it's funny how getting it on the calendar was tough. Like, it's so easy to put it off. I, I don't want to do this today because I got the kids soccer practice or whatever like there's something that can always get in the way um and it's funny how that that same thing applies to so many things in our lives about you have big goals about you know weight loss or or a new routine with your diet or whatever and just taking that first step so many times is like that's all you had to do was just start mm-hmm. uh and for me this show i think is kind of the same thing like especially in the last few weeks when my schedule opened up and this became more a reality I started going through what the process I normally do of overthinking. What's it going to sound like? What's the feel? What's the theme? What are we going to do? And none of it, I've I've done enough podcasts to know that none of it matters until you sit down and push that on button and start talking and find out what comes out of it. And then it just naturally comes out. And it just comes out. And whatever it is, whatever this ends up being, the next one's going to be totally different. And to the to the listener, they might have a common thread that feels like they're all the same. But each one kind of takes on a life of its own and and is, uh, for, with me anyways, it's typically very organic. I like a more authentic approach where I'm me, this is my experience, and hopefully you get something out of it. A I laugh. Hope, hope it helps you. Something. Or, or, or in whatever way. It doesn't even have to be advice that means anything to you. It just has to be something that gets you through right now. Yep. So basically, uh, we put it off long enough. Here we are. Let's do this thing. We're here. And I have a similar, you know, situation in that it was the calendar never lined up. But at the same time, I've never sat in front of a microphone before ever. This is totally weird. Unnatural to me. Not even like in your basement, because I thought you were doing some like in your basement, just sort of experimental stuff. Yeah, but I bought a, you know, a nice little um, like multi-directional mic that sat on the desk. Sure. So the quality wasn't all that great. You know, this is definitely... Much more professional than I could ever hope to. <laughs> uh, yeah. We were talking a little bit before we uh, officially started recording about sort of the point of this and why we're doing this. Uh, and, and I thought you had a really good answer. And I'm going to ask you to perfectly reenact what you said because it was brilliant. I can do that. Okay. Because I wrote it down. Oh, good. But I won't read it. Yeah. So the reason I want to do this is I, my entire life has been around helping people. Fortunately, I work in IT and technology, so, you know, there's a help desk. People only come to me when they need help, mm. which is 
and it makes me feel great at the end of the day. Um, it took me a long time to realize that helping people just, you know, it, it's not a job for me. It's just something that I feel good when I go home at the end of the day. And I've spent my entire life just kind of feeling broken, like something's wrong, something's not right. You know, other people are happier, other people are richer, Mm -hmm. other people have a better job, other people have, 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 and I don't. And I could never quite figure out what it was. And and I can't, I still can't put it into words. It's Mm -hmm. just something was always wrong. And so I, you know, read hundreds of self-help books, you know, and listening to podcasts and, you know, going to lectures, you know, I've, I've done it all and I've picked up some really great nuggets along the way, but I've spent my entire life looking for an answer to something that I don't even know what the question is. I couldn't even really phrase it. And while I've kind of figured out my life to a certain extent, and Mm -hmm. I've, I've learned how to accept myself you know, I've picked up all this knowledge of things that doesn't doesn't necessarily work for me, but could work for a lot of other people as well. But the key point was I was looking out when in in reality the answer was always right behind my eyeballs. It was never in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm, it was always mm-hmm. behind them. Yeah. Um, I just had to learn how to turn around and look inside and be okay with that. Is how much of that is still a struggle? Like despite all the reading and all the work you've done. In the last couple of years, is is it still a daily? It's still grind? daily. It's you know we we talk about the name of the show, the fit mess. Mm-hmm. The reason I like that name is because it's all a mess in my head. Everything is a mess, and I've I've spent years trying to clean it up and organize it. Mm-hmm. And every time I organize it, I'm just like my house. Every time I organize it, two days later I turn around and it's it's disgusting. Oh, thank man. God I'm not the only one. That drives me insane. Like we will go through you know the marathon all day clean everything like uh, we've even gone to the extent of like having someone else have the kids so that we can focus on just clean everything yeah and at the end of the day like ah you get the kids and within like a half an hour your entire day's work is undone like there's just there's a juice box and toys and the clothes and laundry it never ends you need kids for that i just oh is that just you it's just me and my wife walking through the house (laughs) things end up all over the place But, I mean, even just, you know, cleaning up the house, right? Marie Kondo has a book on, I think it's called The the Art of Tidying Up. Um, It's a book about tidying up the house. Right, right. You know, I I spent time actually reading that, thinking that my problem was my physical mess that's going on in the house. I I mean, we have parties at our house, Mm -hmm. and we invite people over just to force ourselves to clean the yeah, house. That's yeah. the whole reason that we invite people over. We don't want their company. And and it's so interesting that, that you bring that up. I was just talking, again, I go to therapy. It's a thing. Uh, we all do. <laughs> but no, I was talking to my therapist about how it can be so frustrating to be fully aware that I need to exercise more, need to eat better, need to sleep better, need to meditate once or twice a day. Like I need to do all these things. But until my back is against the wall, or until there's some force requiring me to do it right now, I won't do it. Mm-hmm. And whether that's, you know, there's a, a, the the appointment with the meditation coach that you have to be there at the right time. Okay, that I can do. Uh, but I, I imagine constantly the day that I'm in the doctor's office and they say, well, gosh, we've got some bad news. Uh, you've got the cancer. And I go, oh, I better start eating better mm-hmm. now that I'm dying. Yep. But- I could do that right now. 
And I will yeah. go home and I will look in the refrigerator. And, you know, we purposely don't have a lot of bad choices because I will succumb to them immediately. Uh, but it's amazing how I can't just shift my mindset to that, you know, you are dying. Every day you're dying. So why not try and extend this as long as possible so that you don't have to play catch up at the end? Yep. But I can't do it. Yeah. It, or I should say, I haven't been able to do it yet. That's funny <laughs> because in discussions with my therapist, I've been, there have been a lot of moments where I've just been like, I know what I need to do. Why don't I just do it? Yeah. And it, it was interesting. The answer that we came, we came to a conclusion to kind of finish up the, you know, the fit mess, right? I've learned how to inside my head is a mess. Everything's a mess. What I needed to realize is that I have to live with that mess Mm -hmm. and I have to figure out a way to manage the mess, not clean it, but manage it. You know, if you've got stuff all over the floor and you need to go to the bathroom, you need to have a path to get to the bathroom. Right. You don't have to clean the room. You just have to get to the bathroom. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about it and, and we came to the conclusion that like, I know I need to do these things. And, and she said, you're comfortable. Well, that, you know, normal. Interesting. You know, going, going into a therapist normally is, you know, you're uncomfortable. But she was like, you're not doing these things because you're comfortable. The pain of, of changing out of your comfort or the, the pain you're going to go through mm-hmm. to make these changes is so much greater than your comfort level right now. That's so interesting. And I hadn't really realized it because I've spent my entire life going for the next promotion, just leveling up. And, you know, whatever I did yesterday, I have to do better today. And nonstop, go, 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 go. And mm-hmm. in the last two years, I've really, I've looked inwards and I've really kind of calmed down. And we came to the conclusion that I've gotten comfortable. Okay. And it, it I, I need it to push back on my you. Mind I need bit. to push back on you a little bit on this because you've calmed down, you've slowed down in the last couple of years. Can can we list the things you've accomplished this year? There's not that much. Let's let's go through the list. All right. So this year, well, I started an MBA program about two years ago, um, but that finished this year in June. I also started a 200-hour yoga teacher training program that was six months long. That also finished in June. How long had you been doing yoga before getting into that program? About a year and a half. Okay. So not very long. Okay. Um, which was really intimidating <laughs> if, you know, speaking as a guy who's not very experienced in yoga, if right. you'd like to go do something that's really uncomfortable and scary, go do the 200-hour yoga teacher training because, yeah, that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done from a un, from a comfort level. Right. Um, let's see. Last night, I just got installed as the president of my daughter's PTO um, at a school that has a gigantic like most schools ptos and ptas are relatively small this i mean we have we have an employee um as part of the organization oh my god and it's a much bigger budget than any other pta i've seen um so that happened last night gee what else is there oh i i'm certified to teach insanity live if you don't know what insanity is go look it up it's the best workout in the world Ever. <laughs> I've done it a few times. It's insane. I don't remember. What else have I done? You know, you know what I've done this year? Nothing. I've done nothing. <laughs> That's what I've done this year. I've done nothing. That's a ton of things. 
any one of those, finishing an, like an MBA alone, like just going to school and working full time while you're a dad and, try, and just trying to live that life, that is an insane amount of things for someone to do. And you also, you, you've been doing, so I mean, you said in the last couple of years you've slowed down, but your workout routine has gotten crazy. It has. Your, your diet is dialed in. Like Right now it's a little off, but. But yeah. you've lost a, a significant amount of weight, kind of, not not necessarily intentionally, but that was sort of the uh, the after was, effect of. It was a bonus. Yeah. I, I mean it when I say like a lot of the changes I've made have been because of your action. A lot of people can talk about this stuff and that's, you know, ironically, that's what we're doing here is talking about all this. But what you've done, what you physically have done is inspiring and it's it's uh, sometimes frustrating to see and go, God, what, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my lazy ass? Why can't I do some of these things? Like, why can't I, you know, go work out every day? Why can't I stick to a diet? You know, and not even that it's a diet, but that's a, that's beside the point. But so I guess point A, you should be very proud of yourself because you've done a lot of things. Uh, but point B, it it is inspiring. Like I said, I mean, there are a lot of people that can talk and tell you this is what you should do and this is what you should not do. And here's step one, two, and three. And I just don't believe that's true, generally speaking, for everyone. Like there, there's not an, an A, B, and C step to living a more productive life, a happier life, a more centered life. There are things you can do that might provide some relief, that might provide some guidance to get to the life you think you should be living. Ultimately, the the struggle, the, the mess, points back to, and and I struggle with this all the time, is that you really are perfect where you're at. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't be there. Everything. I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I, I believe everything happens the way it does because it's supposed to, because otherwise it wouldn't happen that way. Yep. Um, but you hit it right. You're perfect where you are right, right now. Right. Right. It, it's And it's now. It's not you in 10 minutes. It's not you 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. It's you right now. You're perfect now. What, you're going to be a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? It doesn't matter. You are perfect. And you can have goals and aspirations and things that you want to do better and improve in your life, but you're okay. Yeah. Right where you are. Yep. And it and being comfortable with who I am has allowed me to do all this stuff. What's what's that like? I don't know. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> Still working she, on it? She just told me on Tuesday. <laughs> so, nice. And I'm not comfortable with myself. I never will be. Yeah. I don't think I ever will be. I, I just read a great article on imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, you fake it till you, it's not, it's not even that you fake it till you make it. It's, you just fake it. But see, I, I, I even am starting to question that because, and it's funny, that's exactly the word I talked about when I was talking about doing this show and feeling like I was going to be an imposter. But I don't believe it's faking it. I believe it's doing your best. It's whatever, whatever challenge it is that you're trying to overcome. And if you feel like, ah, oh, I just, I, I don't deserve to be there. I'm not good enough. I'm not whatever. Either you are or you're not. Mm-hmm. If it's the job that you don't think you're qualified for, but you apply anyways because uh, whatever. They maybe let's see if they'll call back. Let them disqualify you. Don't disqualify yourself. Right. And then once you get there and you do the job, you're doing it well enough until they say you're not. Mm-hmm. So it's you're not an imposter ever, unless you're literally scamming somebody or lying or what you know, being deceitful in some way. But ultimately. Uh, you have to find a way to just trust that you really are your best version of yourself for the moment. 
And if you know you lose that job because you weren't good enough, it's just because there's another opportunity that you're supposed to be pursuing. There's another thing you're supposed to be doing. It's not that you failed. It's just not the right thing. Yeah, that information really isn't going to help in the moment. No, but, but later on you'll yeah you'll, you'll remember once that next thing happens. Yeah, typically, uh, it's a it's a good thing most of the time. So a lot of the things that we're talking about in terms of finding uh, a, a way to to look inside and 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 become comfortable with yourself and and all those things uh, for me getting even to the relatively healthy place I'm at now. It all began really with meditation, and, and again, thank you to my therapist. He was the one that turned it on, turned me on to it several years ago. We happen to have, as our first guest on the show, uh, an, an expert in meditation. He's the author of Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence. His name is Dr. Daniel Siegel, uh, and he was very generous with his time. I uh, got to ask him a lot of questions about meditation. He's got a great new book. Uh, that honestly I was a little intimidated by because he's looking at the science of meditation and, and physically what happens to your body when you meditate and, and all of the many reasons why those physical things are positive. But it's really relatable. It's very, it's a very, it is very understandable. He makes it very clear what happens to your body and, and why it's a good thing. Uh, so anyways, I had a chance to talk to him about uh, his book, again, Aware, uh, The Science and Practice of Presence. And, uh, and here's what he had to say. If it's okay, I want to just start uh, really on a really basic and very simple level uh, talking about meditation. And, and let's just start uh, with kind of your concept of what, what it means to meditate. Sure. Well, the word meditation simply means training the mind. So it's an exercise of your mind. So just like you might go for a walk to strengthen your leg muscles, or maybe you have some weights, or you go to the gym and you use weights to bend your muscles, bend your arms back and forth, back and forth, you're exercising your muscles. Meditation only means exercising the mind to strengthen it. What are the benefits? Why should people meditate? It's a great question. What are the benefits of taking time to strengthen your mind? And here is what research shows for ways of strengthening attention called focused attention, ways of strengthening awareness called opening awareness, and ways of strengthening intention called cultivating kind intention. So basically, when you look at the studies of those three kinds of, let's call them pillars of mind training, here's what research shows. Number one, in terms of the brain, your brain will become more integrated, meaning the different areas will become linked to each other so the brain can be more resilient and nimble in its functioning. So that's the first thing, brain functioning. The next set of things are all molecules inside the body that help the body become more healthy. So there are five of them. Let's name them all. Number one, stress is reduced so that the stress hormone cortisol will be lowered. Number two, your heart system, the cardiovascular system, is actually going to be improved because what you're going to do is lower cholesterol, lower blood pressure, and you're going to make the heart communicate more effectively with the brain. And that actually allows the heart to function better. So that's number two. Cardiovascular stuff is better. Number three, your immune system will function in a more robust way so you can fight illnesses, infectious illnesses, in a better way. Number four, this is incredible. If you didn't see the research, you'd say, wow, this is 
not possible, but it's not only possible, it's been proven to be true, published in the most rigorous of, of scientific journals, that when you do these three-pillar mind training practices, what you're doing is you're going to reduce inflammation in the body. And how does that happen? You're actually changing molecules that sit on top of genes, so they're called epi for on top of genetic, epigenetic regulators that help you modify how the gene that controls inflammation acts so it reduces inflammation in the body. And then number five, as if that wasn't enough, number five is when you develop this process called presence or receptive awareness, which you can develop with this wheel of awareness practice, which has all three pillars built into it, what you do is you actually optimize the level of an enzyme, and the enzyme is called telomerase. And what telomerase does is it repairs and maintains the ends of the chromosomes, called telomeres. So Elizabeth Blackburn won the Nobel Prize for discovering this system, and Elizabeth Blackburn and Alyssa Eppel wrote a beautiful book called The Telomere Effect. And when I was finishing up the manuscript for AWARE, The Science of Practice of Presence, I sent it to the scientists who had done the original research, and one of them was Alyssa Eppel. And Dr. Eppel wrote back. She said, Dan, damn, this book is great. It's all accurate, but you left something out. Did it go to the printer yet? So I wrote her back, no, it's going to the printer in two days. Oh, my God, what did I leave out? She said, everything's fine, but you left out one thing. I said, what's the one thing? She said, you need to say that it slows the aging process. So I said, how can I say that? She goes, because we showed it was true. Mental presence, this idea of presence of being in this receptive state, is what Elizabeth Blackburn and Alyssa Eppel have demonstrated as one of the most robust predictors of your telomerase levels. And so it slows the aging process, according to the world's experts in aging. So those are the five ways your body gets healthier, your brain gets more integrated, you'll feel better. And you even have relationships that are more rewarding, they're more empathic, compassionate, and you'll feel more connected. So these are all reasons, if you need a reason to do meditation, you'll feel better. That's a good enough reason, but these are all the scientific-based findings that show that doing a three-pillar practice, like the Wheel of Awareness, for example, that has all three in one practice, these three-pillar practices have been shown to have these fantastic effects on your body, on your brain, and on your relationships. So let's talk about those three pillars and, and what they are. And from a practical standpoint, someone who maybe has never meditated, they're just thinking about getting into it. That's why they're listening to this right now. What what does it mean to actually practice this? What does that look like for someone who's considering doing sure. this? Sure. Well, let's do, the, let's do um, a, a quick overview of the Wheel of Awareness since it reviews each of the three pillars and it builds on a, two fundamental ideas. One is that integration is health and integration is just things being different and then being linked. And then consciousness, the second idea, is the basis for change or intentional change. So what I did was, years ago, I said, what if you put those two together and integrated consciousness? So what the wheel does is it says, well, okay, if you're going to do that, what would you do? So if you picture a wheel, in our office it's a table, but no one wanted to call this the table of awareness. So let's just make it a wheel. Picture a center of this, in our, in our office, it's a glass center of a table but, and with a wooden rim, but picture it as a glass hub and then the outer rim of this wheel. So consciousness can be simply stated to be 
the experience of being aware and those things that you're aware of. So to differentiate, to make different, to recognize the different aspects of something. In consciousness, it would be the known, which are all the points we'll put on the rim, like what you hear, what you see, what you smell, what you taste, what you touch, would be the first segment of the rim. From the knowing, which we're going to put the awareness in the hub. So the rim of the knowns, and in the first segment of the first five senses, the second segment is the sensations of the body. And when we develop focused attention, this first pillar, you're actually moving a spoke of attention one by one on what you hear and letting that go, what you see, letting that go, what you smell, and on and on. So you're developing focused attention. When you're distracted, you return your attention to what you're focusing on at that moment. So that's how you develop the focused attention in this practice. Then you move the spoke over from the interior of the body to now the third segment of the rim, which is mental activities like emotions or memories or thoughts or hopes, dreams, longings, desires. All that stuff are mental activities. And here from the hub, with your spoke going out to the rim, it's a spoke of attention. Now, instead of having it focus on one thing or the other, you invite anything in. So it's a form of open awareness training. And now lots of things may come, one thing may come, nothing may come. You just experience what it's like to say, bring it on. And this open awareness is an important pillar, the second pillar. In an advanced stage, we actually bend the spoke around or retract the spoke and just leave awareness in awareness itself and to be experiencing awareness of awareness, which is another form of open awareness training. Then you straighten the spoke out or send it out and move it over to the fourth and final segment of the rim. And this is a segment that represents our relational connections, our interconnections of, you know, family members, friends, people you work with, people who live in your community, your city, your state, your country, your, the world, and all living beings. And then I added, when I presented this to a research team, positive statements you make, internal verbal statements that research has shown also integrate the brain and bring well-being into the body. So we do those two. And that's how you develop the third pillar of kind intention. Now, when you do all this as one package, it's this incredibly rewarding process where you're not only integrating consciousness, but you're actually exploring the nature of what it means to be aware. And, you know, I've done this systematically with 10,000 people, recorded the results when people take the microphone, and have now suggested what the science is of all this beyond just understanding the body and the brain, but thinking deeply about what the mind is. And there's this really fun discussion in the book after you learn the practice step-by-step. Step. It's a practical guide. You then get into the discussion. You see five examples of people who've used the wheel, and uh, then you, talk, you think about your own experiences doing the wheel, and then you look at this deep dive into science of what may be going on to understand the nature of awareness itself. It's funny. I, uh, th your concept of the wheel was new to me until I got your book just a couple weeks ago, and I read it on uh, on the plane on the way to vacation with my family. And I've been meditating for years. Uh, I'm, I'm by no means uh, an expert <laughs> at all. But uh, what was interesting to me is being just newly introduced to it and not fully implementing it in the way necessarily that you describe in the book. But I sort of adapted it uh, to my own um, needs for this trip and, and being such a new concept, 
I kept kind of using it more as a compass uh, to sort of tap into what I was feeling at any given moment. If I started feeling myself getting frustrated with my kids or, you know, the long lines or the traffic or whatever was going on, I kept kind of thinking of just visualizing that wheel and going, what am I pointed at? What is it that, that is causing this uh, emotional response or this, this feeling? Um, am, am I anywhere, any, anywhere near the intention of the wheel in doing that? Jeremy, you are 100% on target, and I'm telling you, you bring such a big smile to my face because, <laughs> you know, the practice you do for whatever, the 20 minutes, half hour, whatever it is, you know, th- that practice is just setting you up for doing exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. Use it as a compass so that in actual life experiences, you're getting irritated with kids or whatever, you have the ability to say, where's my spoke going on the rim? to actually have access to that hub and to be able to say, okay, well, I think I'll choose to focus on other things too, or I can modify what I'm feeling or how I'm going to behave based on choice rather than just doing it out of impulse. It's so interesting too, how, how in doing so it really just helps. And and I've, I've felt this over the years that when you just, uh, when you can just identify the feeling or the source of whatever the, the issue is that you're having, from physical pain to emotional to whatever, just acknowledging it can make so much of it uh, so much less of an issue to deal with. Just just by just by acknowledging that it's a thing, it seems to almost evaporate. Exactly. Well, that's the amazing thing, you know, about the wheel. When you realize that acknowledgement comes from the hub, and whether you name it or not, the naming part you can say name it to tame it, but even just being aware of it uh, lets you share it with your awareness, really, and mm-hmm. say, okay, well, that's it. So I see it's I'm irritated, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, I'm impatient, you know, disappointed. Those ways that you enter the hub and just become aware of whatever is going on in the rim, that's a difference that makes all the difference. Uh, I, I guess, lastly, I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, sort of the, I guess, what seems to be growing popularity of meditation in general, especially in the West, Um is that an accurate assessment? Does it seem to be growing? And if so, why do you think that is? I think it is. I think you're right, Jeremy. Um, I'm not sure exactly why. I think some things that people have suggested is the research on um, the positive impact of meditation on our lives has become so strong that anyone who's interested in bringing more health into their body, more health to their brain, more health to their subjective feelings and thoughts and focus of attention, the health of their relationships with their kids, with their spouse, with workers, with the world. I mean, if you have any interest whatsoever in well-being, the research is so clear. Having a meditation practice at least that starts with these three pillars, is the way to go. And now, with the Wheel of Awareness, you get all three pillars in one practice that's actually built on scientific reasoning. So some people are concerned, you know, which one do I do? Which one? Well, here you get one practice that does all three. And as you saw, it becomes a visual image that allows you to visualize the mind and especially visualize the awareness of the mind in the hub, the things you're aware of on the rim, the spoke of attention. And there's something about visualizing it that 
makes this kind of meditation so accessible because you go, yeah, I'm irritated now. I got to get into my hub. Let me think about other choices. Oh, yeah, I could also do this to that. And it, instead of being on automatic pilot, you enter the state of presence, which is basically what what meditation gets you to be, which is open to what's happening as it's happening. And all of these physiological improvements in your health, all of these ways your brains will, your brain will grow in these integrative ways can occur. So it's a win-win-win-win thing all around. <laughs> and all we have to do is realize it and start using it in our lives, just like you did. Uh, I, I thought I was done, but you, you raised one more question for me uh, in talking. We've talked a lot about the science of it, but um, there's also, I think, for a lot of people, a spiritual aspect to it. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about kind of your take on that? Yeah, you know, the word spiritual is interesting. I wasn't raised with that word, and as a scientist, you know, I'm always concerned about staying really solid with science. <clears throat> so recently I've been asked to teach at conferences that link science and spirituality. And I would say, I don't know what this word means. <laughs> y- you teach me, to, my, to the workshop participants. And they would say, oh, well, spirituality is having a connection beyond just your own individual body and having meaning beyond survival. And I'd say, you mean being spiritual means having something more in your life than survival and just living a solo existence? They go, yeah. Spirituality is meeting that question, is there something more? Is this all there is? And the spiritual journey is to answer those questions. And so what has been so fascinating is to have a scientific practice, like the Wheel of Awareness, meet so many people's spiritual needs, because when you drop into the hub, and you'll see in the discussion in the book, it kind of illuminates the nature of spiritual journeys in this really exciting scientific way that it makes a bridge between these fields that don't need to be separated. Science and spirituality don't need to be separated. I used to do work with a person named John O'Donohue, is how you'd say it in America. In Ireland, we say John O'Donohue. <laughs> and John and I were always working on this boundary <clears throat> between religion and mysticism and, and general spirituality and science. And it was so exciting this, this summer, you know, to do a whole talk on the bridge between science and spirituality. And I talk about that a lot. I dedicate the book in part to him, too, to John. And you'll see a deep discussion of kind of a newcomer to this word spirituality, but bringing a grounded scientific frame on what meaning and connection are in our lives and why the wheel of awareness is a, is a pathway toward living a more scientifically grounded spiritually enriched life of meaning and connection. Yeah, the, the connection, I think, is the key. I've, I've had a number of very brief experiences where where the ego sort of dissolves and you sort of connect with just everything to the point where, you know, I, I'm sitting on a beach and the, the waves and the ocean are as much a part of me as my own hand. Um, and that exactly. that connection to nature and to everyone around you, it's it's remarkable that you can get there just by stopping and and focusing your awareness and and uh and being intentional about it it's it's really i I hesitate to say it's that simple because it's it's difficult but it's that available i guess i know but i think simple is a good word presence is exactly what you're describing and every workshop i do someone has that experience that you just described when they get into the hub of the wheel and the hub is this portal that presence arises 
And when we do, we realize how deeply interconnected we are. And actually, there's a huge discussion about that at the end of the book that says, what's the science for the experience you had on the beach? And it goes into that in great depth. You know, it's a, I think it's a beautiful moment in our human evolution as a human family to really look at those issues and realize how deeply interconnected we are. I mean, I'm here at a place called the Pando Forest, where there's thousands and thousands of seemingly independent aspen trees, but they're all the same tree connected to the same root ball. It's the oldest living entity and also the largest on the planet that we know of. And just look up Pando, P-A-N-D-O. And this is an incredibly powerful poetic metaphor for the reality of life, that we are all deeply interconnected, but when we only live at that rim level, we only see what looks like independent trees, but if we get a little bit beneath the surface, the soil surface, we realize in this hub how deeply interconnected we are. And that's a journey I think all of us need to take to have that deeper meaning and connection in life. Step back. All right, that's Dr. Daniel Siegel. He's the author of Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence. It's a very good book. Uh, so I hope that you will read the book and uh, and apply some of that practice to your practice because uh, I found it really helpful. Yeah, and I, as part of the interview, I, I, I thought it was great how you incorporated a real life experience and how meditation helped you. Mm-hmm. Um, because so I don't meditate as much as I should be meditating. Mm-hmm. I, I know how important it is, but... The act of sitting down and meditating is is not the goal, um, in my opinion. The goal is you had a real-life situation, and all of the time that you've spent practicing meditation, that came into play. Yep. And your frustration level with the kids didn't go as high as it normally would. Mm-hmm. You're able to deal with the situation better than you normally would have. It's, you know, people think about meditation and just sitting there with your eyes closed and you know, oming or mm-hmm. being really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And while that is the preparation for it, it's that translates into your life. That's the be- that's the part of meditation that, that you want. That's the training for the marathon yeah. is, is what that is. And for me personally, whenever, whenever I sit down to meditate, I immediately sit down and I say, I can't, I can't meditate. I didn't do it. I, I can't do this. It's mm-hmm. too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a muscle. You have to build the muscle, which means you have to sit down, you have to practice, and you'll get better. Mm-hmm. It'll take a little bit of time, but then eventually you'll get to a situation like you had where you were in real life. Mm-hmm. And all of that practice, that muscle activated and mm-hmm. was able to help you in real life. Yeah. Um, and th- this is one of those things that you really can't explain it to somebody until they experience it. Yeah. Um, and but you have to practice. It's just like you can't walk into a gym after never working out and expect to bench 300 pounds. Yeah. You're not going to do it. Yeah. You need to sit down and, you know, just bench the bar or just bench air. <laughs> right. I Start mean, somewhere. In, in my case, bench air. <laughs> oh, please. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're thinking about meditation, it's, it's, uh, and people get frustrated with it. And, and myself included, every time I sit down to meditate, the within, 30 seconds. I'm like, why can't I keep myself focused? And it took me a long time to figure out that is the perfect opportunity to practice is when you get distracted. Yep. 
because the whole point of meditation is bringing yourself back to center. So every time you get distracted, yay, woohoo! Right, I get to bring myself. I get to back. practice. I get so to yeah. Rather than getting angry about I can't meditate, I can't focus. No, you get to practice more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's, it takes time to build that muscle and get it incorporated into your life. And you know, I personally, I I think all the time you meditate so much more than I do. <laughs> and I'm always like, got you fooled. Why can't I meditate as much as Jeremy does? Well, you're able to apply it to real life. I, I, I think that that is something that I've gotten. That is one thing I feel like I've gotten good at. And uh, and my therapist gives me a lot of uh, credit for this. And, and a lot of times, especially early on when the kids were a little bit younger, uh, he always said that, you know, being a parent is your practice because you you have to be in that moment when your kid is crying. You can't worry about the dinner on the stove or the or the you know project you got to get done for work you've got to deal with that moment right now when your kid is trying to get your attention it's it's an opportunity to to get in the moment and not try and do all the things you're trying to do and uh, i think for a while i did a better job of practicing on a regular basis i went to a uh it was a temple but it wasn't a, a religious um meditation practice but I went on a regular basis and just that practice. It's, it's amazing how, when you do the work, when you do practice, how it, how quickly it can get easier. There are times now when I'll go to meditate and almost instantly I can be in sort of a place of Zen. It might be for half a second. It might be for 10 seconds, but to be able to get there at all, is is really difficult and takes a lot of work, but it's also really amazing. I, I think I mentioned to uh, to Doctor Siegel about the the experience on the beach where you can you can feel the ocean. You know, in my experience, I, where I was, I could feel the ocean as though it was a part of my body. It was it was as much a part of me as my hand, and it was for a split second. But it was it's just an incredible feeling to feel connected to everything mm-hmm. for just that moment. And that's not even the point. That's not that's not the point of it. That's kind of a almost like a reward uh, for the practice. It's a little bonus. Yeah, because it is more when you know work is stressful to be able to just stop and go. Okay, what do I need to what do I need to focus on right now? Like mm-hmm. I I can't fix all this. Where do I start? Yeah. And just being able to to get back to a place of center and going. Okay, just take the first step. You don't have to climb the whole mountain. Just take the first step. Uh, and that's sort of the point, I think. For me, anyways. Yeah, I really liked uh, the question about spirituality that you you posed to him. Too. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty smart question. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he answered it well too. <laughs> he did. He did. Um, you know, here's the thing with religion. Um, in a lot of ways, I think meditation and prayer are yes. very much the same thing. Uh, I, I think ultimately, it's all kind of the same. We all just apply a different head on the dragon, whether it's Jesus or. Buddha or or whatever science, whatever your thing is, whatever story you have to wrap around it. Yeah, but ultimately we're all just trying to make sense of all of this, and whatever it takes to to get you through the day, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else or take away their uh, happiness or their ability to live their life the way they want to, then go for it, man. Like I don't know, I'm I ain't no expert or nothing, but it just seems like that's 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 kind of what we're all here doing is yeah. Faking our way through it and trying to make the most, make it the most comfortable we can. Yeah, and it, it's not going to be perfect. I no. think, you know, 
all the books I read, all the podcasts I listen to, all the experts. It's it it's all. Nobody really ever talks about the difficulty of it. Um, there's you know the moments you're going to have a moment of zen. Mm-hmm. Great, can't wait. Yeah, what do I got to do? Might take there? you 25 years of yeah. uncomfortable sitting and struggle and frustration and yelling at yourself. But nobody ever talks about the struggle to get there. Yeah, and it's 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 tough. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable. I mean, like we talked about at the beginning, you have to get uncomfortable mm-hmm. in order to grow. You have to get uncomfortable, and for me, that's meditation. Very, very uncomfortable. I started doing yoga and realized, I think I'm meditating. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, <laughs> I think I'm meditating. In some ways, I would imagine, uh, because I know you well enough, uh, I think yoga is probably easier because there is a more physical element to it, so there's something to focus on more than uh, kind of focusing on like your breath, but like holding a pose is yes. a little bit more. Th- and specifically, you know, holding a plank pose longer than the lady next to me, right? right? Because I don't want to look like a weakling. <laughs> but you're not competitive. No, not at all. Not at all. Not one bit. Well, that's probably as good a place as any to, to wrap this one up. Yeah, I think so. Um, covered it. We we told you it's going to suck, but it gets better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and But that's... Ultimately, that's the thing is that, uh, you know, the mess, the struggle, the chaos, the the difficulty, that's what life is with little blips of relief. And wherever you can find those blips, appreciate them, I guess. And be happy with where you are. Man, that's hard. It's just. Yeah, not even be happy where you are. I, I think I misspoke. Yeah. Just be okay. What was the, what was the word your therapist said? Uh, be comfortable. You're comfortable. Find a way to be comfortable. You're comfortable. A little trick that I that I use, uh, and, and maybe we can leave it with this. I heard somewhere uh, that there's some great uh, meditation expert. I can't remember who it was, but they used the question "How are you doing?" as a as a place to constantly check in. Whenever someone would ask them "How are you doing," they would always answer, "I'm okay." And it was a very intentional answer because they would take a second to just evaluate no matter how bad things were, they were okay with it because they were able to just keep going, right. to, to keep fighting the, the mess or the struggle or whatever. So I've sort of adopted that for myself. So whenever I'm at work and someone's like, hey, how's it going? I take just, it's just a beat, but then you just go, I'm okay. Because it's just a, a little reminder to yourself that it could be a lot worse. Ah, that's a good way of thinking about it. That's so much better than my response, <laughs> which is typically, I can't complain. No one listens. <laughs> <laughs> much like this show. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, if you did hear this, uh, lucky you, you found it. But uh, thank you for listening. There most likely is a way to subscribe at some point uh, on, on this website or, or wherever you got it. But uh, thank you for listening. And hopefully we'll see you again uh, soon. Take care. Bye. See ya. Jeremy and Zach are not doctors. Please consult your physician prior to implementing any changes that you heard on this podcast. The listener assumes that Jeremy and Zach do not know what they're talking about and that you'll do your own research on the topics talked about in this podcast. The hosts of this podcast are not liable for any physical or emotional issues that might occur directly or indirectly as a result of listening to this podcast.